Hello and welcome to another episode of Another Brick in the Wall, uh, our monthly podcast on radio and camera about construction, sustainability and materials. Uh, today we have a very special guest from Sweden, Sandra Frank, who is a co-founder and marketing director of Arvid. Thanks for having me. And I think my first question to Sandra is actually, what is Arvid? A developer, a developer builder, a trailblazing company? A trailblazing company, for sure. <laughs> I love that word. But we're only a developer. A couple of years ago, we were a construction company as well, a contractor. So the first two timber buildings that we built, we built them with our own people, which we realized today gave us a lot of knowledge that not too many companies have because it's so divided and in between developer or contractor. And you don't want to share the knowledge or share the the figures it's one of the biggest problems in the construction industry actually uh even if you if you add in architects into that mix then the architects are very protective of their details and the builders are very protective of how things are actually done and the developers don't want to reveal, reveal too much of the figures so that i find that a lot of times there's a lack of collaboration and people wanting to talk about what they do and that's that's something that we also actually wanted to do because it's a teamwork and you need everybody to to participate in this in this in the team and to to look at it as a, as a common project more than it's the architect does its job the contractor does its part the developer that has the money and doesn't want to show how much things costs and and we we had a philosophy a, a couple of years ago and we just said to the to the architects here's the money this is how much money we have and use it smart because um i used to to work before in a in a in a big construction company and i know how it was that the architects put on like 30% of stuff uh, in the design because they knew that 30% would be taken away when the, the project managers at the big construction company came in and they did, but they didn't have really the clue of what's the smartest way to, to take away or how can we do this so that maybe maybe we could add some money in the lower parts of the house where the people are and you and you're perceiving that the house or inside where 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 the people are living and and maybe detailing on roofs or whatever so to just to so we wanted to have that really open and use the money smart we have this money but it is it's really a, a cultural barrier that needs like more people needs to to be open and to to dare to share their both knowledge and to wisdom but also secret and experience and and successes and failures i think because we all learn from that uh, and the name of your company arvid kind of already buys into a lot of that doesn't it it actually means in english both heritage and legacy by 2019, we sold the old part with the construction. It was 18 really beautiful uh, CLT, like cross-laminated timber buildings designed for the Stockholm area in Sweden. 
to this big construction company. And uh, later on, we also sold the name. So we changed our name from Folkem to Arvet. And we were talking about the, the legacy that we, what we had learned through Folkem and also being an old type of contractor where there is a lot of pride in doing good things, but not the least, the legacy that we are leaving for our children for the next generations, because they will need the planet. When, when we were speaking a little bit earlier, you were telling me about how today we talk a lot about fossil fuels, but there's also fossil materials. And one of the things that triggered your mindset and the way you work has to do with that, the, the finite resources that we have on the planet. Like you were saying, we, we are talking a lot about fossil fuels and to, to lower those, but all materials that will end one day are fossil. So that means that includes limestone, where you make uh, cement and later concrete out of, the sand, but also steel that we're using a lot in the building industry. So we just think that we will always need both concrete and steel, but let's use it smart and use it where it's really needed, like for the foundations and below the ground and uh, to make things stable and also where, where it's it's wet. But building up, you don't need to use those valuable materials that, like I was saying, will never grow back. And there's another thing. So we are we are kind of talking to the world in different ways and trying to spread this knowledge because it's not talked about as much as it should be. And Timber is actually the only building material that we can grow just like, and we need to do that more, just like we grow our food, we need to grow our building materials, for example. And I realize, <laughs> I realize that's easy for me to say from a country up in the north where uh, two thirds of our area is covered by, by forests. But it wasn't like that 100 years ago. We had deforestation here and, you know, the great poverty. So people were leaving. They were flooding the country because of starvation and people were so poor. And we had the deforestation. And actually, at that time, the government realized that uh, the forest was a very valuable resource for, for us. So they made a new law that says for each tree you take down, you have to plant another one. And today we're planting three to four more trees. So we actually have the double the amount of forest than we had a hundred years ago. And it was the same for the whole of Europe. They had as much trees and forests as we did, but many countries took them down and didn't replant. And that's another thing that we're going around and talk about because deforestation, it's a huge problem for in so many ways. It's something that I'm passionate about as well. We've had on our show people talking about cork, which is another sustainable material that we can grow. And that's very kind of local to us here in Portugal uh, and acts wonders as insulation. Uh, but again, the, the global production of cork is limited. The, the global production of wood is a bit uh, more widespread and there's more wood around. But still, I understand in Sweden, it's relatively 
viable. Here in Portugal, the cost of building in timber, uh, we've tried a couple of times in our projects, but we struggle to get uh, the developers to understand the value of, of this type of construction. How was it to, to make that shift in Sweden? It was quite of a journey. Uh, and we were talking to both the, the Swedish uh, industry that was quite new in CLT, and but also some companies down in Austria uh, where it's... Uh, I think it's it's more common to build with CLT there as well, and uh, but they wanted us to to build very strictly from their system and as a passive house, and um, Anna, who is my boss and who's been building for forty years, um, he just said that nobody can make me believe that it's it's a good thing to live in a plastic bag. <laughs> uh, but it, there is something in what he's, how he's thinking, because all the humidity stays in the house and what happens in 20 or 30 years with these houses. But there is another thing in Sweden. We, we have the midnight sun and everything in the summer, but that also means that in the winter time, the sun goes down by three o'clock. So it's very dark and we need the sunlight. So building a house up here with very small windows where we really need the daylight when it's here, it wasn't an option for us. But we wanted also to prefabricate as much as possible off-site because we were building in the middle of a city. All of a sudden, the Swedish CLT company called Martinson at the time, and they are now Holman, they came back and they said, we've, we've thought about what you said and we want to do this. So we actually prefabricated as much for the second house where we modified a little bit more. It was 80% of the house was built up in the north where the forests are, where there are a lot of people that needs and wants jobs. And they also have the knowledge and the cultural to, to work from the, the forest for generations. So we built it up there and then took it down to the city in Stockholm and mounted the house in seven months. So after seven months, the people could move in there. And I know that, it, which normally takes about three times longer, like 24 months, we could do it so quickly. It was also when the people that mounted the building was going up, the carpenters could go down on the lower floors and put in the kitchens and do all the interior work. So we were working parallel and if it would have been a, a, a normal uh, concrete building, because the funny thing here is that we started off this, at the same time as another company that was built in concrete, just on the next site, the same house, because we did the whole detailing for this area and then they built the same house, but in concrete. So... After seven months, when the people moved in in our house, they had come up three stories in concrete. When you say house, you mean building, because we're talking about a multi-story apartment, aren't we? Sorry, my English. 
This house is a, it's an eight-story apartment building that I'm talking about. It was at the time the tallest timber structure in the world. Yeah, maybe not the tallest timber structure, but the tallest apartment building, definitely. There is, you know, it's old temples and pyramids that are very tall, but they also need a very, they have a very wide base. Amazing. So at the end of the day, you were able to be almost three times faster than the construction company that was building in concrete next door. And that had obviously good cost uh, implications on the project. Yes. And that's one thing, because from the beginning, we thought, uh, well, this is going to be expensive, but we we decided to, to, to do it anyhow, because we thought it was important. And yes, so from the beginning, we thought it was going to be more expensive than to build in, in concrete normally. And, um, but also, and we thought that even for a period of time after people have moved in until we realized, why do we look at this as the, and then I'm meaning the, the construction industry as a whole, you're comparing a structure with a structure, a kitchen with a kitchen, a floor with a floor and choosing the cheapest or the best or whatever. But that's just comparing costs. And we need to start seeing these as investments because we could use the same amount of labor of people working on the houses to build three houses instead of one. We could use, we got our money back after uh, after seven months instead of 24 months. So we could actually, using the same amount of money, we could we could build could have built three houses instead of one, and that's the main thing that we're out talking about. You need to start think about the economy in a project in a different way. Start seeing the project as an investment more than something that costs money that you need to cut down. But it's a, it's a, it's a problem in in big companies where you really you cut it down to projects and you're not seeing the company's whole economy no one had ever spoken to me about that approach yet which is very interesting um and it's a good way to convince many yeah yeah and even us we thought it was more expensive for for a long time until we realized afterwards and it's like hey because in at least in sweden you get your money back when people move in and pay their apartments or if it's a rental house, you rent it out. That's another thing. If it's a rental house, you start to get rent maybe a year before if it would have been a concrete house. Then those money should also be in the calculation, but it's not. So we need to start. That's another thing of sharing experiences and education. Yeah, I think that's what, what really sets Arvet apart, which is you're looking at things in a very different way than just we're developers, we're going to put up a building and sell some units. And and that's led you to, to actually having on your website the sustainable development goals. We are thinking differently. The leading people at Arvet are, is five people who are very, five totally different people, which makes it good to, in discussions, but then you need to allow the, the discussions, but in discussions, 
we all have different ways of thinking and uh, and so but we also have this heritage from Folkem from coming from a company that put a lot of pride in in doing beautiful houses also houses where people could thrive and uh, live a good life and not just inside the house also the surrounding of the house is also very important but the SDGs we were trying to convince it was boards it was leaders from the biggest construction companies and and everything in Sweden and they was like yeah yeah nice work yeah thanks for having us then we realized the first time we went down to the architectural biennale in, in Venice was 2014 and we did a small exhibition with the columns actually of a, a house called the Cedar Houses which is now up in Stockholm in the city center but it was it's like massive columns in in Glulam and then 2016, we were like, we need to do something. We need to invite the best architects in the world that has the experience of both designing and building. And uh, we need to start talking about this because the construction company is not going to be in the lead. The architects will. And, uh, and in many countries, the architect has also a bigger role in deciding materials and, and so on. So we did with a Swedish architect firm called Schillande Schöberg, a big pavilion in CLT in a garden just outside uh, Girardini in the venue or between Girardini and Arsenale in, in Venice. And it, it kind of became a success because that uh, structure, it was shining white, yellowish timber color. It was actually, when you came close, it was smell. It smelled beautiful. And the design was spectacular. So people came into that garden and we had talks. There was Vothistelton, which is a, a, a small architectural firm from London, but they have done so many good things in, in timber as well as uh, Alex de Reich from DRMM. There were shop architects from New York. We were trying to get architects from globally and, uh, and to start talking about this as timber as um, a building material. And then we repeated it at uh, 2018, but then we also invited uh, Architect Sweden, the organization, and we would... And we did an even bigger, bigger thing. And but by that time, we were really thinking because we had been starting to work with the uh, the seventeen sustainable development goals, and we took a decision in in our company that if in the long run there is, if we are going to go into a project, we we want every goal to be ticked in which you could see as a hard thing. Normally you choose like three or four goals and work with them. But we actually sat down 
for, I think, for two days. We did more things as well, but we were sitting down. It's like, what if we go into every goal, how does wood building affect this goal? And uh, we actually, it ended up in, in the end, 2019, as an exhibition at the UN uh, compound in Nairobi. But we had more of the, all the SDGs were included in the, in the Venice Biennale at 2018. And when it was ended, so this time we did a big glue lamp pavilion and uh, it was easy to, uh, to mount it, but also easy to dismantle it. And by that time, we had we contacted UN Habitat, who has its headquarters in Nairobi, and uh, they were launching their first UN Habitat assembly. So we thought, like, what's the next step? It has to be the UN. If we want to, if we want to change the world, we need to go by UN. So we demounted it, shipped it down to to Kenya and of some reasons it got stuck on the ocean so two weeks before the the opening of the assembly this world congress in in Nairobi where all the the countries and all the people that are making those decisions about housing globally is coming we just had to find figure something out so we designed a new pavilion and we called it the Panic Pavilion. And it was actually made out of African cedar, but it was brilliant. It was so good because we had so many talks and seminars and invited people to, to this uh, pavilion in the UN compound. And also people were like, wow, is this African cedar and, and so on. And um, this could be a long story, but but... Afterwards, all of a sudden, the Glulam Pavilion showed up. So it ended up that UN Youth helped us to move the Panic Pavilion to Matare, which is one of the slum, the big slum areas in Nairobi. Renamed it the Children's Corner, and we gave it to the inhabitants of, of Matare. And but just to see what a roof and a, a floor could do for a neighborhood because there everything was in mud and when it rains it gets really muddy but to have this one place and also they have the sun so and today the the Glulam pavilion is actually on the Swedish uh, residence garden it's a big beautiful garden and we gave it to them and we we put a note there and it says um, that the embassy should use it for anything uh, in talking about sustainability and what the forest can provide for us. Talking about what the forest can provide, I've seen in uh, a presentation by you that uh, it takes only one minute in Sweden to grow an eight-story building. Can you just explain that a little bit better? Because the idea is insane. Yeah, I know. And um, it was actually in the beginning when we built this house, we were quite criticised and by like World Wildlife Foundation and uh, some other local uh, nature uh, foundations. And then we just 
decided to invite them to our house and, and discuss it. And we were saying, and they, they said, what do you think? Should we cut down all the trees and build houses? And, and then I realized I have to find the information because it's about 1,200 cubic meters of, of timber in this house. And, and then I asked the manufacturer, where, and they also have the forest and the, the sawmills and everything. And I said, how, how long does it take for the Swedish forest to grow a house, like to grow 1,200 cubic meters of, of wood? And it's actually 44 seconds. Uh, but I thought it's very visual to say it takes the Swedish forest to grow uh, one minute to grow a house like this, which also means that every minute the forest out there produces enough material for an eight-story apartment building every minute. And it's amazing. And then it's also what we were talking about, World Wildlife Foundation, and then we said, have you thought about what, how it affects our climate and the nature, the way we are building our communities and cities today? And they were actually totally quiet because that is so, and it's, it's very human because we don't think about the habits that we have today. When we change a habit or when we change and do something in a new way, we just think of all the bad things that could happen, but we haven't considered because we were saying if we continue to build like we are today in concrete and steel, we will have no forests in 30 years. There will be swamps. Either it's too warm in places or it's too cold. So we wanted to put the discussion in what we are doing today and how we need to change that. Because having, having a construction industry globally that is letting out almost 40% of all our global carbon dioxide, and in many ways it's there is included... It's not just the materials, it's high emission industries like making concrete and making steel, but also in many places it's deforestation and not replanting. Transportation. Transportation. There is another thing uh, that we realized with this house here, since we also prefabricated it as much as 80%, the transport, it was... 70% lower, and that's because the timber is so much lighter than concrete. What do you advise or what would you suggest to architects in countries like Portugal or Southern Africa where the, uh, the conditions and the amount of trees that we have are much less than a country like Sweden? How can we start to make a change and, and basically advocate for the use of timber in our own uh, construction industries? I was thinking a lot about that when we were going down to Kenya for this exhibition. And then I was like, how can I go to a country where, which has no trees left? Uh, and I was amazed of how green Kenya is. So I realized that they used to have a lot of forests there. But uh, so it is a complex question. We have 
we have not seen any borders. So we have, you know, talked to politicians, to policymakers, to UN, to just talk to anybody. And also about the issue of replanting, because it's another thing. While a tree is growing, it kind of eats carbon dioxide, which means emissions that are already there. So it's cleaning the air at the same time as it gives us oxygen and gives us building materials. Like we were saying, it produces enough material for for a big apartment building. And we don't need to use those other materials that will never grow back. I would say talk to the politicians because, and we've been trying to also, we've been three times at the climate conference, both in Paris, Madrid, and and now digitally in, in Glasgow. It's so important because in many countries where we are lucky to have this old tradition of replanting and also living from what the forest gives. But in many countries, you only see it as a precious tree. And it is precious, of course, also to save our climate, not just to tend to clean the atmosphere, but it is to replant. Every country needs to do that globally. That's It's a common responsibility that we have as human beings. That's the first thing. And that's also why we think it's so important to build a showcase. So I think our first apartment building was a showcase and also being at the architectural biennale, because I realized coming down there, there was so many people and it's like, I didn't even know you could build from, from wood. In some countries, there's only tradition of stones and or mud. And the technology your company advocates normally is CLT. We were very strict at that at, at the beginning because we thought it was brilliant. And it's also very, it's, I mean, it gives a massive building and very high quality and it would stand there for 300 years. But now there are so many new products coming and also considering the forest out there, maybe we can also build, if it's a little bit lower buildings, with more mixed materials and even lighter structures. So we are very open and just looking what happens. And the funny thing is that it happens a lot at the moment. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. And I I really hope one day we can have you in Portugal also just talking to, to everybody else about Timber and the amazing work you guys do. Thank you, Pedro. And uh, I would be so happy to come to Portugal. But also, if you ever come to Sweden, just give us a pling and we'll show you show you the houses. I will do. I, I haven't been to Stockholm now for quite a few years. Uh, it's been great having you and we hope to see you soon again. You're most welcome. Uh, for everybody listening at home, we hope you enjoyed it. See us for the next episode. Until then, bye for now. <laughs>